is difficult, I think, to imagine or permit someone to be different than what we've expected them to be. There are many examples in our own life where we're challenged in this regard. One of them, if you're married, you know a little bit about this. You join your life with another person and the years change and happen and we continue to change. And we have to keep coming to an acceptance that the other person isn't exactly who we expected them to be, perhaps at the very beginning. And this is also true of siblings. I just had the privilege of being with my sister over the last couple of days and watching her daughters who are close in age and are growing up and reflecting on my own kids and just realizing, wow, you know, you grow up and you go out and you have different experiences. You come back together and you're not the same people that you were when you were 18 or 10. And we sometimes hold one another to those particular things. If we remember an experience of being 10 or when the other person was 10 or what they did when they were 18 or how they treated us when they were in their 20s or what happened or what we experienced at particular points in our life. Parent relationships are this way too. Words ring in our heads from our parents from way long ago and maybe they didn't even know they said it. Lots of time has passed, and so the relationship calls forth something new. We see this so pointedly in our gospel this morning. Here is Jesus in the synagogue teaching, and they are astounded at him. He is really speaking eloquently, and he's offering stuff that resonates with them and and, um, resonates with the scriptures, and they're thinking about things and looking at his deeds of power, but then, you know what, maybe he's just a little full of himself. Who does he think he is? Isn't he the son of Mary and Joseph? I mean, they're here, and these are his brothers and his sisters. What makes him so special? And so we hear in the gospel reading their irritants, of him and their refusal to think of him as anybody else than Mary and Joseph's son or the brother of that long list of brothers or the brother of the sisters who are unnamed. And they won't receive the possibility that he could be something different than what they had always known him to be and what they expect him to be coming from that family, how he's supposed to be since he's related to those folks. I think this is an ongoing challenge for us as followers of Jesus. To allow Jesus to be introduced to us again. Maybe calling us into a way of understanding who God is that's different than what we have expected God to be. You might have images or experiences from earlier in your life that stick with you, that rattle around in your head about how God is or who God is, and it's hard to give those up. They have power, maybe through their promise or maybe through their fear. They have power. And yet, my brothers and sisters, I think we are called to consider that God is always introducing God's self to us and calling us to live in his way. There's a lot of instruction about keeping the commandments, and we heard it today in our opening prayer, the collect that was appointed today. And in this ordinary time, we're going to get a lot of instruction. Every week, Jesus is going to be telling us something we should be doing. 
Maybe that's why people don't want to come to church. They just come and learn what they're supposed to be doing. Indeed, the world out there can see and hear these instructions from Jesus and say, yeah, like I need somebody else to be bossing me around. Great, another list that I can evaluate myself against and find myself failing at that too. I don't need Jesus. I've got enough of a problem in my life to have to make room for all the ways that I have fallen short of following him. Perhaps that's what some folks feel or think. And indeed, it can be tempting to evaluate ourselves time and again against this expectation that we will follow the commandments. But I think our challenge is not with the fact that Jesus gives instruction, that Jesus gives direction, that Jesus has imperatives. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that we hear them and have an understanding of a relationship with Jesus as a merit-based relationship. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we can hear that sometimes as a criterion for his love for us and our love for him. And that's when we start to wring our hands. When we start to put our our hand in our hair and think, I'm already failing at this. I'm being evaluated and scrutinized at every turn. It's tempting to hear those instructions from Jesus as a way of evaluation and based on merit. And to think that a relationship with Jesus is based on merit. What have I done wrong to have this in my life? What should I have done to make this a different outcome? Maybe God's just trying to tell me me something through this challenge or through this joyful experience. I've earned it or I haven't earned it. Jesus wrestles with our propensity for meritocracy all the time. Jesus wrestles with our propensity for meritocracy all the time. We want to structure the world in a merit-based way. We want the good people to get ahead. We want the bad people to not get ahead. We want to decide what's the good and what's the bad. And we want life to be like that. We want to know that what we've done has brought about the joy that we have, so we're going to keep doing the good things so that we can have more of that. And we don't want the punishment to be too severe, but we promise to learn We promise to learn Jesus from our mistakes and to do better so that life can be better for us. I imagine Jesus wringing his hands. Jesus putting his hand through his hair and thinking, oh, that's not what I'm trying to say here, people. I'm not trying to create a meritocracy, which I know that you want. I'm not making that kind of kingdom where you do certain things and then you come into certain places of establishment or security. I'm not doing that. The kingdom I establish is one of grace. It's a stream of living water that flows through everything. And what I'm asking you to do, what I'm instructing you to do, is how to put your boat in the water. Imagine that. You have a boat. I would choose a kayak. They're easy to carry. They're lighter than a canoe or something like that. 
It won't go unless it's in the water. And guess what? I can't decide where the water is. Jesus shows us that God is a living stream. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says in John's Gospel. When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, which is also in John's Gospel, he asks her about the water. And she asks him about who he is. And he says, I am the living water, and you will never be thirsty again. And do you remember her response? She says, give me that water. Jesus has come as the well of life. And his instructions are how to put our boat in the well. In the well of life. The stream that runs through the city of God. That's why he's giving us instructions. Put it over here. Here's where you put the water in, your boat in. And when you put your boat in, the water will carry you. The instructions are about putting our boat in. And we need those instructions. When Jesus tells the disciples, sending them out two by two, and tells them not to take anything with them, I don't ever travel without my purse, just so you know. I always take a change of clothes. When Jesus tells them to go out that simply, he's giving them instructions that will help them continue to put themselves in the stream of life that Jesus has invited them into. To live simply is an invitation to live in the abundance of God. So the instruction, although it sounds severe and maybe seems ungenerous, is an ultimate invitation to live in the stream of God. And there are other instructions that we'll hear over these coming months. Loving our neighbor, blessing the one who curses you, calling us to prayer, all of these instructions, time and time again, teach us how to put our boat back in the water. It's going to take us a while to get the hang of this, I think. We are so conditioned to merit. And when we're really performing well, we wish the world was that way. When we're at a point of failure, we would like to know a little more about grace and mercy. And Jesus says... My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'm all about grace and mercy. Let me teach you how to put your boat in this. And this will carry you into the fullness of life. Let me teach you, Jesus says, how to put your boat in this, which will sustain you throughout all that you need. Let me teach you, Jesus says, how to put your boat in this, so that you will never be thirsty or hungry again. Let me teach you, Jesus says. Oh Lord, may we have ears to listen and hearts to obey. Amen. <laughs>